This morning, guys. How are you doing today? Good. Glad uh, you joined us this morning. I know some of you guys are very hardcore early morning risers, and we want to thank you for being here with us and, and to celebrate this time of, of worship and and, rec- and remembering uh, what Jesus Christ had done on the cross for us. I don't know if you know the history of that last song that was just sung, It Is Well With My Soul, but Horatio uh, Spratz, I believe was his last name, was... Um, was a, I would say, a wealthy man, very wealthy. He had a lot of property in Chicago. And uh, during the Chicago fires, him and his wife lost everything. And so he tells his wife, you know, go on home, back to England, and uh, when you get there, just let me know by telegram that everything's okay and everything worked out well. And I'm going to finish up here all of my uh, businesses to make sure that everything is taken care of here and uh, Unfortunately, on the way there, the, uh, the ship had wrecked into another tanker and everybody was lost. And the only one that was saved was his wife and possibly just one other person, I think. And uh, she sends a note and, and a telegram to, to her husband and says, you know, everything's lost except for just me. We lost our daughters. We lost our children. We lost our fortune. They lost everything. And after he was done taking care of all his business in Chicago, he got on the ship and he takes back, he's go, going back to London. And as they're crossing the area of where the ship had sank, <clears throat> the captain stopped and slowed down and they had a moment of silence for those that were lost. And, and uh, many of them lost their loved ones. And it was at that point that he sang the song. He sang the song. He penned the song and he put it in the music and he says, Lord, whatever may happen, Whatever may take place in my life, it is well with my soul. That is the power of the resurrection. That is the power of the love that Jesus Christ has for you. And that is what enables us to persevere through these difficult waters, these difficult times that we're all living in. That is what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. But, but you see, it's more than just power for living. It's more than just relationship building. It's more than just having a good life. You know, if you want to have your best life now, then guess what? This is the best life you're going to get. Because there is a better life that we need to prepare for, and that's in eternity with Jesus Christ. And that's why he died on the cross. He died on the cross. On Good Friday, we talked about why Jesus Christ died on the cross. Why did he go to the cross? Well, he he wanted to prepare for himself a bride. He wanted to prepare for himself a a, a spotless bride. And, And so he had to give his blood. God's wrath on sinful people. God's wrath demands justice. And so Jesus Christ said, that's my bride. That, that's, I, I, I want this bride. And God is saying, but she's defiled. She, she, she deserves eternal punishment. And Jesus Christ says, I will take that eternal punishment upon myself. And upon the cross, God unleashed his holy wrath that I deserved. His holy wrath that we all deserve. He unleashed it upon Jesus Christ. And he had to turn his back on his own son, because it was such a powerful event that, that it cleansed the world of the sin. Jesus Christ is preparing him for himself a bride. And if you know anything about the Jewish wedding, it, it, was, it was paramount that the bride be prepared and ready for her bride, for her husband. And, and so this is what Jesus Christ is doing right now. He's preparing the bride. 
And all these things that we've gone through this last year, and everything that you may have gone through in your lifetime, some of you have lost loved ones, some of you have lost some, some sort of possessions and cert- certain things might, may have happened in your life. Some of you are probably struggling with health issues even now. And there are some within the sound of my voice that, that don't know exactly what's going what's gonna to happen tomorrow. The political realm, the social realm, everything that, that surrounds us seems to be indicating that, that it's getting crazier and it's getting heavier and, and much is going on. And, and what Jesus Christ is doing right now, he's preparing his bride. He's preparing you because what's going to take place in the future is, is going to be harder than you've ever thought or imagined. It's going to come to a point where you're going to be challenged to make a decision. Now, at the cross, there were many of his disciples and friends that had left him. They were challenged. And it's, it's almost amazing to even think about it now in hindsight. Why did they even depart? Why did they run? Why did they hide? But there are a few people that I'd like for us to look at today before we, uh, before we start, you know, at least calling out the disciples. Because you know what? When we get to that point, it might happen to us as well. Let me ask you to turn with me to John chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 27. If you have your Bibles with you, if you want to pull out your phone, I'm going to be reading out of Matthew 27, verses 57 and on, right before the resurrection. And this is, these are the events that are taking place right at the cross, right as soon as the disciples left Jesus right as soon as Jesus Christ hangs his head and dies, and he says, it is finished, right at that time, these events take place. In Matthew 27, verses 57 and on, it says, When it was evening, there came a rich man from Aramitha, named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Father in heaven, we want to thank you once again for these events that transpired and how these things took place. And Father, we know that your providence had already set these things in motion. We know that it will be your miracle that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Help us to focus on the power of that resurrection for our lives, but most importantly, for the resurrection that each one of us will one day be able to experience. So lead us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great things about God is that he has these attributes, these things about him. Attributes are, well, it's his character, who he is, and his sovereignty, his, his absolute sovereignty, his supreme rulership, the ultimate control of all things in the universe are one of the things that God possesses. 
And providence is one of the ways that he accomplishes a lot of his goals. But there's also another way that he accomplishes some of the things, and those are miracles as well. And miracles have been defined as something that supernaturally happens within life. You know, I know that many of you call things miracles, like, for instance, you know, I, I found a parking or or, you know, it's a miracle that the doctor found nothing wrong with my life inside of my body. Or it's a miracle that uh, somebody made it home safely. But in order to accomplish his purposes, God has to sometimes suspend, supernaturally interrupt the natural processes of the day that we have. And everything that we have right now is natural, everything around us. And God has to suspend that, interrupt that and get involved in that in order to accomplish his goal. So finding a parking spot doesn't necessarily accomplish God's goal. Finding the fact that I am healed doesn't necessarily accomplish God's goal. God's goal and God's purpose is greater than my goal, as we'll see with the resurrection. And so what he does, he suspends the natural law and he accomplishes what scientifically cannot be explained. And and that is all to get get somewhere, like for instance, the miracle. Miracles uh, that, that took place, that, that happened in the Old Testament when God created the heavens and the earth in six literal days, which is one of the things that most scholars believe. I know some people say that, well, it, it couldn't have been six literal days, you, you know, because we, we see evidence that there's a, a lot of, it took a long time. I personally believe that it took place in six days, and I think God could have done it in one day. And one of the evidences that I show in scripture that where Jesus Christ was at a wedding and they asked him, they told him, they said that they had run out of wine. And so he says, bring me some water. And in a matter of minutes, he pours, or actually seconds, he pours from the jar into a glass, hands it over to the bridegroom. And he says, you know, this is the best wine ever. Most people serve the best wine first. And then the cheap, after everybody's drunk, the cheap, cheap stuff later. And I don't know if you know anything about the fermenting, the process of the wine, but it takes years to be able to get that kind of a quality of wine, which Jesus Christ did in a matter of seconds. It's very important to recognize this, not about the wine, not about the party, but the fact is, is that he was able, this is the first miracle, the first sign, John calls it, and the sign that pointed to Jesus Christ as being God and was able to create that water into wine, the best wine, within a matter of seconds. If Jesus can do that in a matter of seconds, imagine what he can do in six days. And so that's a miracle in itself. The flood of Noah's day was a worldwide supernatural dis uh, disruption that God had actually disrupted the world in order to accomplish his purposes. The plagues in Egypt, uh, the, the closing of the lion's mouth, hungry lions, in Daniel, when Daniel was in the lion's den, we, we over and over again, the Bible talks about all these miracles. And so there, there are miracles that God accomplishes or God does in order to accomplish his purposes. But then there's providence and providence, like the word Trinity, is not in the Bible. But we know that providence takes place because God is in control. We know that he is in control of the, everything in the universe. And, and throughout his sovereign providence, God is able to take the virtually infinite number of events and circumstances and everything, everybody's personality, uh, every person on the planet, demonic, uh, demonic activity, everything. He takes it all into consideration and he orchestrates it to accomplish his goal. And he puts everything together. And that is, I believe, a lot more harder than actually just a miracle. I believe that, that providence happens to be way more sophisticated for God than actually a miracle. Because a miracle, all he has to do is just intervene once and it's done. 
But with providence, he has to set certain things in order. And the question that I generally ask on sunrise service is this. Why are you here? Why are you here this morning? Some of you were invited. Some of you uh, heard about the event and wanted to be a part of it. Some of you are early risers, as I said earlier. And it's, it, was no, it was a no-brainer for me. I'm usually up at 4 o'clock in the morning anyways. And it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it just be something, uh, at least in my case, you know, I usually get up early, but today I got up late. <laughs> for, I, don't, I don't know what happened. <laughs> what happened, Lord? I, I'm usually up before this time. I better hurry up and get ready. But why are you here? And I want to at least give you this, this theological response that God is working something in your life. That providence has brought you to this point. And, and as you can see God working in your life throughout your young life, your history, just in the last few months, in the last few years, and you start to put these pieces together. And sometimes, you know, and I just got to say this as, as an older adult now, I'm, I'm past middle-aged, as an older adult now, I can see some of those things as they are milestones in my life. We call them spiritual markers and how they've all just kind of led to this one place. And, and some of you young people that are here today and that are listening within the sound of my voice, uh, you don't see those as of yet, but I want to I wanna at least give you that ability to start looking at God working in your life. And as I'm saying that, you're already thinking, yeah, I can see how that happened. I can see how that took place. Because it's, it's not just for you. It's not about you. It's not for your comfort. It's not for you to say, it is well with my soul. God's going to take care of my relationships, my health. It's about something greater, something bigger that God is doing. And beloved, we need to know this. Time is short. You see it. Those of us that have been on this planet for some time already, we recognize that we don't have many years left. Months, if that. But you see, I've already used up most of my life. And, and some of you have already seen just the events that have unfolded before us here in the recent past. And we're seeing just all these things just come to a conclusion. We don't have much time left. It's not about you. God wants to use what he's given you and, and to understand that just like these disciples, just like these men, these women that were at the tomb, he wants to give you the power and the strength to carry on the goal and the purpose that God has, which is far-reaching that we can never think or imagine. And God is putting events into place. All these different types of personalities, everything that, that God has done, he's putting it into place so that his son can be his son can be resurrected number 1 and number 2 so that you can proclaim that resurrection it says here that in verse 57 of Matthew chapter 27 when it was evening there came a rich man of Arimathea now this rich man which we know as Joseph he took he took a chance he took a chance. Everybody else had left, but here he goes. He says, you know, it's the day of preparation. Uh, it's, it's the time. It's, it's after the evening. Jesus Christ has already been, been crucified, and the next day is the Sabbath. And, and so he cannot defile himself, but he does so anyways. Number one, by going to Pilate, and number two, by handling a dead body. And he says, you know what? I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what people say. I don't care about the traditions right now. I've got to take care of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ's body couldn't hang on the tree. On the cross, we call, they call it a tree, the wood. He couldn't hang on this cross throughout the Sabbath, throughout the Passover. So these bodies had to be taken down. And they had to make sure that these bodies were dead. As a matter of fact, when they said, hey, can, can you please, Pilate, take these bodies down? Have them taken down because uh, it's going to defile our Sabbath day. These Pharisees that were asking for the bodies to come down are the same Pharisees that didn't have any problem crucifying the Son of God. And so, the, the, as you know the story, the guards went up and they broke the legs of the criminals. And all that did was to cause them to collapse on their lungs and to suffocate. Because the crucifixion didn't actually kill you. The crucifixion was made to make you suffer. And to cause you to, to, to linger on for days. And, and the crucifixion was, was done in such a unique way where the feet were nailed so that a person can raise himself up to take in another breath. It was a torturous, cruel punishment that eventually ended in death. And to hasten the death, they would break the legs of the prisoners and they would collapse on their lungs and they would die. And then they would give what was called the, the, uh, the, the, the thrust of the spear. And they would puncture the, the, the lungs and they would puncture the heart to make sure that he was dead. When they came to Jesus Christ, they saw him. He's already dead. Don't break his legs. And so they punctured his side. And the, the Bible says that blood and water poured out. But that was to fulfill a prophecy by Isaiah that not a bone in his body would be broken. Now, the Roman soldiers didn't know this prophecy. They didn't even know the Old Testament. They didn't even realize that God in his providence had already set things in motion to fulfill what scripture had talked about. And so Joseph goes in and, and as he goes in, he's this rich man again. And I don't know if Joseph even thought about the, the passage in Isaiah of the suffering servant. I don't know if he even really remembered that. But in all honesty, he says, you know, I. I, at this point, I'm going to defile myself by going to Pilate. I'm going to defile myself by uh, holding a body, a dead body. And I'm just going to go, go for it. I'm just going to do this. And that was to fulfill another prophecy. And that prophecy, as we will find out right now in verse 58, he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb that he would be counted as criminals, and he would be laid in a new rich man's tomb, which was close by to Golgotha. Another prophecy, another part of God's providence come into, come into light. There are a lot of things that we, we see this, we see here. And he laid him in his own tomb, which, was, which he had cut out on the rock, and he rolled a great stone into the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. These two Marys were the same two Marys that came that bright early Sunday morning to anoint the body. The Bible tells us that Joseph and Nicodemus, by the way, they, they had about 75 pounds worth of spices that they wrapped the body of Jesus Christ in. They wrapped his body and they, they laid it to rest and, and they wound the body tight, knowing it and just forgetting about everything that Jesus Christ had said that he was going to resurrect. If they would have remembered that Jesus was going to resurrect, I don't think they would have wound his body up like a, like, like a mummy. They, would have, they wouldn't have wound him up in such a way. They probably would have anointed him with the spices and laid him there and think, okay, he's going to resurrect. He said he was. But that was the furthest thing from everyone's mind. They were sad. They were heartbroken. They were 
just broken because their friend, their savior, was murdered, was executed. I think that's the word you were looking for. <laughs> that's the one. He was executed. He, he was tortured. And, and, and as you have experienced, if some of you have experienced the loss of a loved one, it, it is sad enough as it is. But to see it happen and unfold before your eyes. These women, Mary Magdalene, she, she was the one that was healed from the demons. She wasn't a, a virtuous woman. But Jesus loved her and healed her, cast out the demons from her life. The other Mary, we don't know which Mary that is, could be one of the, the, the disciples' wives, the Bible tells us. But these two were there. Now, we'll find out later as to why, because these are the ones, Mary Magdalene is the first one that got to see Jesus Christ resurrected. The next day, it was, it was the day after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive after three days, I will rise. Isn't that amazing? The enemies of Jesus, they believed in the resurrection. They knew something was going to happen. They just didn't know how it was going to happen. All they knew is that this man was an imposter. He was a fraud. He was that type of a person that was going to infiltrate and, and instigate this rising up of the people. And regardless of how it was going to happen, they said, let's make sure and, and put, a, put a stone in it. Let's seal it. The stone was already there. And, and let's make sure that he doesn't get out. His disciples don't get in. And here they are, the enemies. See, Joseph and Nicodemus were there out of love and devotion. And they could care less on what anybody thought about them. Now, they were already in, in a, at a pretty precarious situation. The... These two men that became disciples of Jesus Christ, if the Pharisees would have found out, I'm sure they would have got ridiculed, yelled at, probably kicked out of their seats. But they didn't care. The Marys, they could care less what anybody else thought about them. A woman shouldn't be out that late at night. A woman shouldn't be hanging around and, and helping out. More than likely, they helped with the embalming of Jesus Christ, excuse me, the anointing of Jesus Christ. More than likely, they were there to help in wrapping up the body. The, these, these priests, these Pharisees, the, they, they, they came together in such a way, they were there as well. But they were there to make sure that the message didn't get out. And, you know, we have people within our churches. And I, I'm not going to say that we have any in our church. But there are people within the churches that are trying to stop the message from getting out. They'll come to a church and they'll come and they'll figure out and see and they'll talk and they'll ask questions. And then they'll go back and they'll report and they'll say, you know, that church right there is not a very friendly church. The Equality Act is not in, uh, initiated in that church. And they are pressured and they are canceled and they are stopped. And some people that are in within the realm of the church itself are trying to stop the message of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that they don't realize is that the more they try to hinder the word of God, the more it gets out. The church explodes during persecution. Every country that has experienced the persecution of that nation, of that place, has always exploded underground. It seems to grow even more so. We know that there's a persecution coming. We know that genuine Christians are going to be called into account. And we know that genuine Christians are going to be persecuted, not because you are a Christian, but you're going to get persecuted because you are not 
a genuine Christian is going to get persecuted because they are not genuinely, they're, they're not following the rules of the day. They are not following the state order. You will become enemies of the state. Because, and not because you're a Christian, but because you're not following these rules and laws and everything else has been put into place. Now, ultimately, it's because you're a Christian that you're holding on to your beliefs. I pray. But as I heard uh, John MacArthur say this last week, he says, you know, I, I'm looking forward to that persecution because it will whittle out the false Christians. And we'll start to see who the genuine Christians are. Because false Christians are going to say, I, I was just kidding. We don't want to get persecuted. We don't want your things are going to be taken away from people. And these two men, these two women, they could care less what was taken away from them. Because they loved Jesus Christ. And, and in spite of all the prophecies, in spite of everything else that's happened in the past, they, they, they were still focused on the fact that Jesus Christ had died. Not that he was going to resurrect, even though that's what the Bible talked to us about. Later on this morning at 1030, we'll talk about the supremacy of God's word. In other words, how important the word of God is. And, and my brother just mentioned uh, Cleopas and his friend that were going home to Damascus at, on the day of the resurrection in the evening. And then a stranger comes up to them and he starts to talk to them about what, what happened. And they say, well, don't you know? And, and well, what, do I, what am I supposed to know? And I, I want to share with you on how the most traumatic effect, uh, the most traumatic event that took place in these men's life, they needed to see Jesus Christ and he was there. But he did not show himself. Why? Because he wanted to have, as my brother said, a Bible study. He wanted to have a Bible study with them. And he took them back to the prophets, to Moses, the prophets, and explained everything about what the Christ had to endure. And their hearts burned within them. And it was after that time when Jesus Christ revealed himself. Some of you are looking for an experience of Jesus. Some of you want an experience. Some of you want to just, just to see him and to hold him and, and, and to be there. And, and beloved, he's here. Here he is right here. And it's when you dive into his word that you experience him. And I want to share, with that, share that with you here in just a little bit. But, but here's, here's what's taking place. The two, the two men, Joseph and Nicodemus, the two women, and then the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the chief priests, by the way, are mainly Sadducees. The chief priests are the ones that were, were in charge of pretty much the, the temple order. And the Pharisees were, were a different group. And you can look at these groups kind of like Republicans and Democrats. See, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Yet, they went there and says, you know, he said he was going to resurrect. The Pharisees, they believed in the resurrection. And these two groups were always at odds with each other. But it's amazing. They came together for a common goal, and that was to destroy Jesus Christ. And these two groups, when they came together, they came to stop what couldn't be stopped. Therefore, the tomb was ordered to be made secure. Chapter 28. Our key verse. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to, to Galilee, and there they will see me. The experience that you have with Jesus Christ, whether it be this morning, whether it be right here, right now, the, the providence of God as it's moving in your life, the events that have taken place up to this point in our story of the resurrection, all of this is designed for you to go. He says to them, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus. This is verse five. And then in verse six, it says, he is not here for he has risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then in verse seven, go. And again, he says, go. And before the ascension, he tells the disciples, go and make disciples. And he tells the, 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 the men in the room, go. And he's telling you right now, go. You see, the resurrection, as important as it is, it's, it's the one thing that separates Christianity from other, every other religion. If you were to look in, and Google it and see how many religions there are in the world, you might find some 4,500 different types of religions. But to be honest with you, there's only two. There's those that walk on the wide road and those that walk through the narrow road. There's those that go through the wide gate and those that go through the narrow gate. There's those that are a good fruit and there's those that are a bad fruit. There's the sheep and the goat. There's the good and the evil. There's only two. Jesus identified two. And what separates, what separates Christianity from everything else is that Jesus Christ resurrected. And it, you don't have to do anything for it. What God does is he gives you that salvation because he's already paid the price. It is the gift of God by grace that you're saved, not by works so that you may boast. And the important thing about the cross, as we stated on Friday, it wasn't just so that we can have Easter eggs and bunnies so that we can get together with family and barbecue it wasn't for us to, to get new clothes and, and a new season and, and everything brand new. It was to take away the sin that you have. We're all sinners. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. There's no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who seeks God. And all of us have, have been marred by this sin. That's what Jesus Christ came to take away. And to take away that sin, to give you that reconciliation. He's not wanting to, he's, not that it doesn't happen, but he's not wanting to work on your relationship with yourself or with your wife or with your husband or with your kids. All those things are byproducts of what Jesus Christ does in your life. As a matter of fact, those byproducts sometimes don't even happen in some Christian's life. Jesus even said himself, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. 
He says, I did not come to bring peace into the world. I came to bring a sword, a dividing sword between family members. In this world, he promised you, in this world, you will experience troubles. But fear not, he says, for I have overcome the world. And the purpose of the cross and the purpose of the resurrection is to connect you with God and to give you a mission to go. He tells the disciples, go. He tells the women, go and tell what you've seen. He's telling you right now in the providence that he's laid out for you in, in your life to go. To go and share. I'm a sinner. And I've been saved by grace. And I, I'm, I continue to sin. I'm not perfect. But God has saved me because of his grace. And therefore, my life should change. I, I have been reborn. And the problem is that that most people that are reborn, they're reborn right back into what they used to be. There's got to be a definite change, a, a definite direction, a different direction from where I was going before. And that direction constantly is pointing me to Jesus Christ. It's not just a feeling. It's not an experience that I feel and, and I, I get all warm and fuzzy. Like somebody just, like somebody said to me this last week, it, it, it feels like bread. Bread? Yeah, you know, when the bread comes out of the oven and it's nice and warm and it feels so good, and it tastes, it just feels like, it feels good. Well, it does. But it's more than that. It's more than that. It's a mission that God has given you. This is how it is that it started from the very beginning. See, if the woman would have just says, okay, we just want to sit here. We just want to worship. We want to build a church. We want to be able to have people to come to us. And, and we want to be able to just feel really good about this whole experience that we had. Well, they, they would have never told the disciples. The disciples would have never heard. And, and, and well, you, you can take it from there. But God's providence working in your life, orchestrating everything together in all history to bring you to this point to tell you to go. That is our responsibility, beloved. The resurrection is not a story that we hold to ourselves. The resurrection is not a story that is meant just for the preacher. The resurrection is not just something that, that you know, we hope that people will find out about. We can't leave it the chance for our children just to experience it or find it for themselves. Because our school system is doing everything it can to make sure that there is no story or even a mention of a resurrection. The resurrection you're not going to find in our political realm. The resurrection is not something that you're going to find in Hollywood, at least not in the good light. You're not going to find it in our songs and our music that we hear over the radio, in the movies and the TV that we watch. You'll probably catch a glimpse of it here and there. But the resurrection story was meant for you to share. That's the resurrection. And guess what? God gives you the power to do that. That's where the power comes in at. Just like Horatio Spratz. God gave him the power to just glorify God in spite of everything that he just lost. God gave him the ability to pen these words, where here, hundreds of years later, we are now singing the same songs. And we can say, it is well with my soul. The resurrection, these men, Joseph, Nicodemus, it was well with their soul. These women, 
Mary and the other Mary, it was well with their soul. These disciples, after they experienced the resurrected Christ, it was well with their soul. Every one of them went and took a martyr's death. The resurrection for the Pharisees, it didn't go well with them. As a matter of fact, they fought and they fought and they fought against this. And they raised up a man. They raised up a man named Saul. Saul, go out and capture these guys. Take them into prison. Tell them to stop proclaiming this Jesus Christ. And they believed that they had found uh, an adversary that was going to be able to help them and, and, and stop this, this movement that just cannot be stopped. And Paul was having these, uh, excuse me, Saul was having these, these men and women arrested, their property taken because they were enemies of the state. And Jesus Christ did a miraculous work in Saul's life, turned his name into Paul, and became the greatest apostle of all time. See, God's providence. I believe God's providence is probably a lot greater than a miracle. Miracles are great. Don't believe, uh, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'd love to see a miracle happen, you know, where a dead person actually rises up. Not these things that some of these preachers are trying to do. But a miracle of miracles where he stops the sun, where he makes it dark. That's a supernatural event. But providence? I think that's a little more complicated and a little more intricate. It's doable. God does it. But to get everything lined up just the way it is so that you would be able to tell your grandchildren, your child, your spouse, your mom. Just to get everything lined up so that you can have the opportunity to go and tell them about what Jesus Christ did. He died for your sin. Now he wants you to live for him. Let me ask you to stand. At the end of chapter 28, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. That's his promise. He'll be with you. Father in heaven, we want to thank you once again for this opportunity to gather with friends and family, to be able to share this moment, this experience. Lord, I truly believe in your providence that you brought every person here, not only those that are here, but those that are online, to hear the message of go. And Lord, that's why we're here. We need to be reminded, as Jesus had commanded his disciples to take the bread and take the cup and to do this in remembrance of you. And Lord, we know that you have called us to go. And Father in heaven, you've asked us to remember on how you've brought out the forefathers from, from Egypt. How we, you asked us to remember on how we were slaves at one time. You've asked us to remember, to remember, to remember. And every morning when we wake up, Lord, and we say thank you, Lord, it causes us to remember on what you've done for us. Every Sunday that we gather is a resurrection Sunday because we remember that you resurrected from that grave. 
Every Resurrection Sunday gives us a little deeper and more profound meaning of the resurrection for our life. Every Good Friday service, every sunrise service reminds us of the commission that you've given us. And I pray that today, this morning, that we are able to not only remember, but to also realize that we have the power that you've given us. You've already stated that you're, you're going to be with us. So there is nothing to fear. So, Lord, we thank you once again for this opportunity to share this meal, this time together. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen, amen and amen. <laughs>